1: a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency's CIOT Directorate? How is NGA maximizing the use of technology to meet its mission? And what are the technology priorities for NGA? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Chris Johnson, Acting Chief Technology Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start off by adding some context uh, with my audience. So would you tell us more about the history and evolving mission of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, also known as the NGA?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, NGA is a, is an incredibly fascinating organization. Uh, it's got a, a, a deep history uh, that that touches many aspects of our world and our lives today that, that most people don't even don't even r- realize. Right when you when you think of NGA, people think, oh, it's an intelligence agency. At the you know, we do satellite imagery. There's so much more um, under under the hood of NGA. We obviously we got our, our our history and our pedigree from a number of different organizations over the years. Obviously, the map making heritage and history from Defense Mapping Agency uh, was a big part of of who we are today. Additional, uh, you know, roots coming back from uh, you know our our previous organization, NEMA, the National Imagery and Mapping Agency, and right. So, in addition to the, I'll say, the more traditional intelligence mission. Uh, NGA does. I'd love to also talk a little bit about our maritime safety of navigation mission, because this is one of those things that I don't think that people know NGA plays a a critical role in. And we do this, we offer this service. It's one of our statutory responsibilities. And we offer this as a service to the world. This isn't something that we do just for the United States. It's not something that we just do for DOD. We offer this to, to, to mariners across the world, um, and it's that, that safety of navigation, notice to mariners, wherever there is a hazard, there's an obstacle, there's a, a, you know, a potential danger to sailors anywhere in the world, whether they're commercial, whether they're a government in the military, or whether they're just civilians out on, on a yacht enjoying the, uh, enjoying a, a cruise around the Mediterranean. And there's an NGA team on standby 24 hours a day collecting information and data from around the world, and putting that back out um, for everybody. We we have a similar type function for safety of flight, and so there's 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 a lot that goes on at NGA, like truly unclassified missions uh, that we do on behalf of of the world, which makes which makes it really exciting. Um, and so our our customer base isn't just. Uh, senior policymakers. It's not just the military. It's it's everybody. It's it's sailors. It's friendlies. It's it's everyone in the world, and that
1: really makes NGA a diverse and exciting place to work. That's great, Chris. And yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us more about the um, the NGA directorate you're part of, which is the CIO uh, T directorate. And I'm, can you tell us more about the mission of this directorate? How is it organized? And and more importantly, how does it support the overall mission? Of NGA,
0: absolutely. So CIOt is a it's a combination of a couple of different legacy organizations. So uh, a while ago we had an organization called the Office of the Chief Information Officer, and we had an uh, another office called E for Enterprise, and we had segregated the duties and responsibilities of the CIO from the people who actually maintained the the underlying IT infrastructure. Um, and CIOt was a merger of those two organizations under the CIO at the helm uh, of the organization. And so the way that we have structured CIOT is around our core underlying infrastructure and enterprise services. So there's an organization that focuses on those things we have a, a another organization that's focused on the more on the software development side mission delivery side right so the think of these as the the people who are building the applications that are used by our mission customers and they're leveraging a lot of those enterprise services that are provided by the infrastructure team there's an architecture and engineering segment of the organization that helps to sort of define that, that strategic picture of, of where we're going and what we're building to. Uh, and then, of course, there's all of the, the as you're aware, the, the governance and management side, the budgeting, the programming aspect uh, of the organization, as well as in, in another, uh, another organization. And so how we specifically support on the, the mission side we have implemented something we call the integrated program offices and these ipos are a it's a program management construct that has mission owners from the mission side that are kind of directly embedded and partnering with the technologists and the program managers that are delivering uh, uh capabilities and technology to our mission customers and so they help set the priorities. They help decide what features are important. They help provide the the communication path between uh what we do in CIOT delivering technology and the mission
1: users uh on the front lines who are using it. That's terrific, Chris. Really helpful. So you know, what are your um, duties and responsibilities as the acting chief technology officer at NGA?
0: So the the role of the CTO at NGA is one of it's twofold. We are we're focused a lot on developing that technical strategy. So we published the NGA Technology Strategy. We've published the the NGA Software Way, which is sort of a, a guide to how NGA does software. And we're we're sort of always looking to the future to see what's next, what's coming, and how do we need to position NGA in order to best uh, adopt those technologies when they come out and so we work across the entire organization uh, and, and collaborate with teams in order to to make sure that these these runways are are ready and we we're, we're capable of adopting technology the other really important role that we have is, uh, we're kind of like technical surgeons and so the the team here uh, the the government team we have assembled is incredibly technical and they're very capable it's a very diverse skill set uh, of technologists and we're able to go in and and dive deep on some of the agency's most complex technical problems and help teams work through those and and sort of advise um, and and help create plans and strategies about how to overcome uh, some of the more uh, Complicated technical challenges that that we face today.
1: That's a great segue, Chris, into my next question. Because given your role and duties uh, in the CTO area, I'm wondering what are some of the say top three technical or uh, challenges you're dealing with, and how have you sought to address those challenges?
0: This is really an interesting question, and I've I've actually pondered it a lot myself. As we talk about technology and technology challenges, and I find that often many of our challenges that we face. They're not directly related to the technology. They're related more to the process and the people side. Right. So for instance, right, like being able to deliver technology faster. Yes, there is a absolutely a technology component to us delivering capabilities to mission faster. But oftentimes it's those those existing processes within the government that that are getting in the way and slowing down and prevent us from using the the technology uh, effectively. And so part of the the things that we're focusing on is we're we're rolling out a, a devsecops platform as a way to help our software development teams rapidly deliver that value. That's only one part of this. So we call that environment NGA core, it's our common operations release environment. And it's it's full end-to-end from where our developers write the code to where we test the code into where we push it into operations. That's kind of one big aspect of that. The other aspect of it is changing the mindset of people to be more customer oriented uh, and more user oriented. Uh, NGA, as a a history of an acquisition organization, and and I don't think this is really unique to NGA. I think most government organizations are are probably finding themselves in a very similar place these days uh, as digital technology is evolving. We're used to buying complex IT systems. That were built around hardware platforms, right? And the world that we're we're now in, the hardware platforms are all being abstracted away from us, and we're really software focused. And so that lends itself more to a direct collaboration with an end user. Whereas in the past, we were more much more requirements-driven, right? We would spend months collecting requirements, documenting requirements. We would hand them off to a, a, a vendor partner who would then go off and build those things. And what we would get back isn't always what the, what the user wanted, right? I mean, we, we've heard this trope and joke time and again, right? Where we go off and we build something for two years, we come back, the user looks at it and they're like, what is this? This is not what we wanted. And so shifting that mindset and that culture for people to more deeply engage with users define the problem. What problems are we trying to solve? Who are we trying to solve them for? Those lead directly to better technology outcomes at the end of those development cycles, because we're not just building to what's on a piece of paper. We're building to satisfy a real mission.
1: Given your current role and your experience within the directorate, what has surprised you most doing the work that you're doing?
0: what has surprised me most i've so i've been at nga uh, in one way shape or form since the about 2008 and so not much surprises me i mean there's there's a lot of different ways i think i think what surprises me most is that there is an incredible desire amongst the rank and file to to change and, and to to do things differently, right? i'm I'm surprised at the the change readiness indication of the rank and file workforce. Change is hard. Change at NGA is really hard. But from my vantage point where I work, I work a lot at both complete spectrums of of ngA. So I, I work at the the most senior ranks in, in interfacing with uh, the, the leadership team. And then I also, I'm working at the grassroots level right alongside teams. We're pushing our sleeves up and, and helping them solve some of the most complex challenges. And so that offers me an incredibly unique perspective into the organization. And I've been nothing but just blown away and impressed by the commitment and the passion of the, the teams that are working some of these problems. In the face of a lot of the, uh, I'll say the the challenges that, that come with some of our, our more inflexible government processes, um, these people are are incredibly committed. They're they're innovative. They're looking for new ways to do things, and it it really is a, a joy every day to get to work with these teams and 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 help them be
1: successful. That's an excellent point around uh, the focus on mission and people. And, and that requires, you know, effective leadership. So, Chris, I was wondering if you could tell us, in your mind, given your background, what makes an effective, what are the characteristics that make an effective leader? And more importantly, what leadership principles have you employed and have guided your career? I think what's
0: most, what I have found most effective and what I try and really um, live up to every day is empowering people to do great things. That is really where I see the role of our office and how we have been most effective across NGA. It's not by doing things on our own. It's really by finding those teams and those pockets of excellence and coming in and using our position and our influence to remove the blockers from them, to give them the creative uh, leeway that they need to do great things and be successful. I really believe that. I try to focus on empowering people. I avoid micromanagement at all costs. And I am incredibly open to being told that I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I I often joke with my team that if I could, I would actually write it in their uh, performance plans that they have to tell me at least twice a week that I'm wrong about something. I, I think that is incredibly important in order to foster this continuous open dialogue about what options are available, what's the best route to do something, um, and that every voice is able to be heard and contribute to our long-term solutions, because that's how we end up with the best outcomes, right? Empowering people, giving them agency over the things that they're passionate about. Every time you will have a more positive outcome than if you were simply to try to direct something from on high giving people agency, giving them ownership, giving that creative license is, is simply accelerates innovation and accelerates positive
1: mission outcomes. What are the key technology priorities for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency? We'll explore this question and it's much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. My guest today is Chris Johnson, Acting Chief Technology Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA. You know, I want to switch from your leadership style and the principles you follow to the strategy that NGA is employing, and it, and it and it has to leverage as the organization has to leverage technology at an accelerating pace to address certain you know current and anticipate future challenges. So to that end, I was hoping you could outline for us NGA's technology strategy and what are some of the key priorities in your portfolio.
0: Yeah. So in our technology strategy right now, we're currently focused on three major areas. The first one I already talked about a little bit, and that is uh, it's NGA core. That's our DevSecOps pipeline. That's our full end-to-end where we build the future of NGA. Um, it's a set of common tools. It's a set of common processes. We do great automation work in there we can start to streamline security processes and most importantly we can get capabilities and features delivered to users in as close to real time as possible as they're responding to a, a very crazy world <laughs> that's 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 happening around us um there's always a, a new crisis a new emergency uh, that we need to be prepared for and and oftentimes we find ourselves in this place where as those crises are happening and unfolding we're jumping through hoops and we're trying to figure out how can we like re-engineer, re-architect, move things around in order to give those mission people the tools and the capabilities and the features they need. And so getting to a point where it's less of a pull uh, on us and it's more of a, a seamless kind of push through our DevSecOps pipeline is, is where we're, we're trying to get to. Complementing that is our uh, establishment of a career field, a government career field here at NGA for software product managers. This career field is not new to industry. In in fact, all major software companies out in industry use product owners, product managers, uh, product line managers, vice president of product. And the role of product people is to primarily engage with those user communities, to shift sort of the focus from these very sterile like requirements-based documents to truly and deeply understanding a user's needs. What are the problems we're trying to solve? Who are the people we're trying to solve them for? And then turning those things and translating those into features and user stories that we can develop and get feedback from the users on as we're developing in very small increments. Another key push is uh, our document, the NGA Software Way. So the NGA Software Way is all about how NGA develops software, right? So we start with, we started with NGA Core, which is where we build software. We then put in uh, Software Product Management, which is the tradecraft piece of building software. And now we have the NGA Software Way, which is all about the process and how we go about building software. And step one of that process is to appoint and empower a product manager. Step two of that process, and and this is probably, in my mind, one of the most important steps, is before before writing a single line of code, is to actually go out and meet with the users and talk with the users and then use that research, that experience, that feedback to then start building something and then to build something in single-digit months. That's our goal. Our goal is always with technology now, we want to get something into the hands of the users in single-digit months so we can get immediate feedback from them. Uh, oftentimes, we try and build to the end. And we'll, we have this grand design, and we go and build this grand thing over the course of several years, and then give it to the users. And they're like, ah, that's not really what we wanted. right? So it's so important that as we define a minimum viable product, that we're being true to that. And we can get it to them quickly and then incorporate that feedback. From the CTO's perspective, those are our three big pushes that we've been working on probably for about the last two years now, and they're in a. They're all three of them are in a great place, uh, well along the way to adoption and implementation of all of those things. Uh, and we've we're incorporating uh, a lot of these best practices into our uh, acquisition processes through acquisition design elements, so our contracting partners and vendors will see hey, we want you to follow the NGA software way. We want you to develop and use NGA Core. So we're trying to kind of pull all of this together and push forward into the, the future of software development here at NGA.
1: Chris, I think you got a little bit into my next question, which is, you know, as you step back as a follow up, I was wondering, are there any internal drivers or external trends that kind of shape and informed uh, your technology strategy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's 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 a couple. So one is, and it's a big one, is the the volume of data that, that NGA deals with, and not even today we have an enormous amount of data today that pales in comparison to what's coming. So, GON is exploding. Commercial GON has has just grown exponentially over the last ten years. Right when when I first came to work at NGA back in two thousand eight, if you would have told me then that there would be a commercial company that would have a a concentric ring of microsatellites in orbit around Earth that could take a picture of the entire planet every 24 hours, I would have said you're crazy. Like, that's something from science fiction. It's never going to happen. Here we are. Right. These things are realities now. There are commercial startups every day doing new and innovative things with geospatial intelligence, with microsatellites. And the data onslaught is real. Right when we coined the term big data, I think maybe about a decade ago, everybody loved talking about big data. That's nothing. Big data is nothing. That's small data uh, compared to the challenge that we face now. And the key problem with big data or with enormous data that we now have, we have to be able to process it all. Right. The the United States is investing enormous amounts of money in getting this data. We have to be able to use it, and so we can't scale that with people. Right? We don't have enough people. We could we could hire half of the country and still not have enough people to look at all the data. So we have to start leveraging things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision. We have to utilize those technologies in order to process all of this information. Right. That's so that's where it becomes critically important. When we start talking about a DevSecOps pipeline, being able to get those algorithms, being able to get those containerized services into operations in order to exploit the data and doing it in a rapid manner is critically important because what we don't want to find ourselves in, next week there could be a new innovative commercial company that pops up and we could have access to a data set, right? That's very valuable and relevant to say a a current situation we're in. We want to be able to use that. We don't want to have to go into this long multi-year engineering process in order to be able to access that. Uh, Another key driver is... The, the expectations of the users in the workforce is changing, right? As we start to to get to some of the, the, the multi-generational workforce and the younger workforce, right? These are people who have grown up with technology um, and they have some very specific ideas about how that technology should work and about how rapid it changes and about how friendly and useful it is for them to use. Um, and they're letting us know that, right? We're being judged against commercial companies we're being judged against you know the the ability uh for for search uh and and the ability for them to find things like they can with google they're using large language models at home they want to be able to use those things at nga so there's this kind of culture clash now where you know big government typically slower to adopt technology much more you know know, a, a traditional type collaboration is now meeting a new a new generation of, of workers who have incredibly different expectations. Um, even on the analyst side, on the geospatial analyst side, when you look at the role commercial GEOINT is playing in the media in narrating the current crisis in, in, with Russia, Ukraine, and with with, with Israel and Hamas, the GEOINT is all over it. Right? The commercial GEOINT, the, the news outlets are using GEOINT to tell these stories, right? And they're doing some incredible things. And so our users have similar expectations. Hey, look at these cool tools. Look at the features they have. That's driving a lot of what we're trying to do to make sure that we're always providing them the best and we're being very responsive to their needs in real time. Those are the two big drivers that are really pushing us fundamentally to think differently about technology and how we get that technology into the hands of our users as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, Chris, that was some excellent insights. Um, I, I you mentioned a couple of times during our conversation, GeoWint. I was hoping we could take a little bit of time to actually explain for the audience what is it, How has it evolved? and um what role does advancing technology or emerging technology play in its evolution?
0: so I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a disclaimer right now so if there are any of my my fellow, geospatial colleagues that are hearing this right there are there are very strong opinions about the the difference between say geospatial analysis and imagery analysis like i am i am neither a geospatial analyst or an image analyst and so i will give you as a technologist supporting those things um i will i will give you my interpretation of how i how i think they work but i'm I'm sure there's probably a dozen different answers um, depending on the, the people involved. So imagery analysis is the more traditional we think about. You're looking at a, uh, a satellite picture from above, and someone's looking at the picture and trying to decide and determine what's going on in that picture, right? That's more imagery analysis type work. On the geospatial side, it's more taking the data uh, about an uh, image. So think elevation data, think terrain data, you know, things like that and making it available to be used as a part of other products that we use to, you know, like inform our uh, safety of navigation missions, right? Like our safety of flight missions, knowing how tall buildings are, knowing knowing where hills are, knowing the terrain, like all of those, that's the geospatial aspect um, of what we do. It's more, it is much more data centric. It's much more mathematically driven side of of GeoN and NGA kind of brings all of these things together uh, into into one place. And when we start looking at the future of of where we're all going with this, right? I, I mentioned a little bit about computer vision. So we have uh, at NGA Project Maven that is our our big computer vision effort that we have transitioned over to the agency uh, from the Department of Defense that we're now leveraging and using and building out to help us address some of those data challenges at scale and to be more responsive to the needs of the warfighter when it comes to processing all of this data, getting detections into their hands sooner, um, and, and kind of starting to give them that that strategic advantage. Um, I'll, I'll say that the, the data volume is probably one of the biggest kind of strategic challenges that we're facing with GeoWint. The other one is going to be the actual processing power. I think we're right now the, the the vast majority of the conversation is focused around storage because the numbers are are astronomical and it's kind of got the shock value. Uh, but one of the things I'm starting to focus more and more on is the the processing requirements that are going to be required to analyze all of this data. And I don't think we're focused a lot on that yet. It's something that I'm going to start turning an eye to going forward and and looking specifically at uh, technology and advancements and innovation in areas where we can not only store this data, but that we can afford to actually process it. And the challenge is with a lot of the work that we do, these are computationally intense algorithms and models. And so we require graphics processing. We need that GPU horsepower in order to process that data. And that's that's costly. And so when we're looking at this problem in the future, it's not just about the data volumes, but we have to process all that data as well. So that's another big kind of driver, external driver that I'm, I'm looking at now to help kind of inform the next, the next evolution of our uh, technology baseline.
1: You know, Chris, that was very helpful in giving and setting context around the term. I want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned, I think, this in one of your previous responses. But can you tell us more about NGA's efforts to transition from a system to systems architecture to more of a microservices model? And how is NGA leveraging the cloud, and that's really where I'm going, to modernize its systems and infrastructure?
0: Yep. So that's a great question. Uh, cloud, cloud, let's start with cloud because cloud's an interesting an interesting one. Um, like when, when you talk about cloud, you talk about cloud adoption, cloud isn't necessarily a technology use case. It's more of a business use case. And, and where we put things, how do we run things? More and more, the commercial cloud infrastructure providers are getting into that services area. So they are providing more and more services. I think government is starting to get their arms around how to leverage those services in a more unique way. Uh, our initial approach to cloud was very much, oh, it's another data center, right? So it, it, thinking in terms of storage capacity, compute processing, memory access, right? Scalability, that sort of thing, right? And now what we're seeing is a lot of these commercial providers are being incredibly innovative with some of the different services that they're offering. And it's not just about going and having you know, uh, in an operating system or a server in the cloud to run something on, it's about going serverless, even. It's about leveraging these, these microservices in a, in a unique way. And so from there, we talk about microservices and how NGA is transforming from a, a system centric architecture to a service centric architecture, leveraging microservices. When you look at the, the history of how we do technology development, Early on in the days of IT development, you would everything that you needed for your system, from the hardware all the way up to the application that the users interfaced with was all completely self-contained. There were no external dependencies except maybe the, the networking cable that plugged into the back of your rack in order to get your, your data to the, the desktop of a user. Over time, we started pushing up that stack from a, a shared service model. The very first thing that was tackled was the infrastructure layer. And so now it's, it's, it's fairly common uh, within government and without where there is very little dedicated hardware except for some very specific use cases. And mostly all things are deployed on commodity infrastructure. So we have completely virtualized and abstracted out the hardware that sits within our data centers and within our cloud's. And users and even developers don't even really see a lot of that back there. They're simply leveraging and using capacity that is available as a commodity. The next step up that stack we went was getting to platforms, right? In industry parlance, it was platforms as a service, right? Uh, The prior, the infrastructure was infrastructure as a service. So now we move into platform as a service. And this is where you get to operating the infrastructure, the provider, is managing more of the application for you, uh, but uh, the underlying infrastructure, but you deploy your things on top of it, our DevSecOps pipeline, NGA core is like a platform as a service uh, where users can, can run and operate things. And then again, moving up that stack again to the actual microservices that used to be Provided by each of those individual programs, and I'll just give an example of of relevancy on the on the geo and topic. Right, images that we look at are huge; they are very, very large. Oftentimes, we only need to process a little segment of that image, right? And so, it doesn't make much sense for us to take that entire multi gig image and put it into memory somewhere and then run compute power against the whole image when all I may need is this 10 pixel by 10 pixel box, right? And so there's a service that we could have that's called an image chipping service, which does exactly what you would think it does. It goes in, it chips out the little piece of the image that we want, and then it uh, hands that one chip over to be processed. Historically, the way we would do this is that every individual system that had a need for an image chipping service, they would build their own. Because everything was self-contained, there was no interdependencies between systems. In a service-centric architecture, we're saying, we don't need 50 of those anymore. We're going to have one or two of those, and we're going to advertise them and make them available to everybody. And, And through the implementation of modern APIs, we're able to call on those as they're needed uh, we run them in a containerized Kubernetes environment. So that way, if there is a demand all of a sudden, if there is a spike in need for those services, they can scale exponentially, right? We can, we can expand that service you know, to 30, 40, 50, 60 instances or more if there's a demand. And then in real time, when the demand goes away, they spin back down. That's like one of the big benefits of, of this, this service-centric architecture is that we don't have to continue to pay for the duplicate services. And we can scale it in real time to meet mission, mission, meet mission demand.
1: That's excellent, Chris. And I, I, you know, we go from there to uh, which is a very uh, informative um, response. And I, I I'm wondering, what are you doing? And I think you, you kind of hinted at this a couple of times earlier. And I'd like to kind of delve into it about your efforts at NGA to adopt mo- sort of modern software engineering practices um, and where I'm going with this is DevSecOps. What are you doing around that particular practice?
0: Yep. So, so I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, NGA Core, right? So there's there's more to DevSecOps than just technology. There are many other underlying processes and things that we need to bring together. So we've got NGA Core, which is our end-to-end, we'll call it DevSecOps process. We've got the tradecraft around this which is software product management. We've got the, the process behind this, which is uh, the NGA software way. But looking a little bit deeper into that, some of the things that we're now really exploring in, in, in accelerating is we're starting to look at some of the, the, the security approval processes. How do we start to bake those things into the DevSecOps pipeline. Uh, you know, you've heard horror stories over the years across government about it taking, you know, 18 months or more to get something approved to to, to use in the environment. And so by shrinking these things down, by putting things into these automated pipelines, by coding in security testing up front, by including a lot of those security requirements from day one of the development process, we're able to streamline a lot of that and make it a lot quicker. So I'll say we're in a really good spot from where I sit. We're in a good spot with our DevSecOps platform. It's fairly mature. We're getting a lot of adoption. And I think now what we're focusing on is we're going to focus on the, the sec in the middle. So let me restate that. We're really far along with the dev and the ops. And now we're starting a really heavy focus on the, that sec piece, the security piece in the middle on, on specifically around automation. The security piece exists today and it is very robust, but is very time consuming. And so now we're spending a lot of effort and time around how do we start to uh, condense that? How do we make it faster without having to take additional risk? And in many cases, how do we end up with better security outcomes because we're doing more automation, because we're able to scale these processes in a much different way, and because we're able to use data in ways that we've never used it before to inform the humans that are looking out for these things, you know, like in our, in our security operations center, um, that are charged with monitoring these applications, uh, in services 24 seven, unlocking a lot of the data early in that DevSecOps pipeline process gives them very, very useful baselines that they can use to detect, uh, I'll say anomalous activity.
1: That's terrific. And you know, what about virtualization, Chris, what are you guys doing around that?
0: So, virtualization—the—the the revolution has has happened. Everybody acknowledges it. Everything is virtualized these days, from from uh, within data centers, within clouds. Uh, one one unique thing at, at NGA—it's not—it's not new per se, but but it is unique about us is that we do have an incredibly large uh, virtual desktop infrastructure. I think at the time when we built NGA Washington, we were the largest. Virtual desktop infrastructure deployment uh, in the world. Um, it was massive, and it, it it really is interesting. It provides a really kind of cool uh, user experience. I like it from the fact that I have full mobility. I can you know walk out of my office and I can go down to a conference room and log in, and there's my desktop session right there. I can I can log in from home, and I'm actually accessing my virtual desktop. It's not, there's no data on my machine. It's incredibly secure. It's all running inside the data center. Uh, so so from a virtualization perspective, NGA is 100% there. We're all in. We're now going those next steps where, where we fully embraced containerizations, where we've deployed uh, a Kubernetes platform as a part of our uh, NGA core ops infrastructure. And, and it really is the wave of the future it everything needs to move in that direction because it gives us it gives us incredible cost control and it gives us incredible flexibility and it also improves the security of your environment because if you're not running something you can just it can just turn off dynamically right so you're you're drastically lowering your footprint your threat footprint your attack service in order to prevent more attacks from happening if you don't need something power it down. Set the container off to the side. When you need it, it'll spin it up dynamically for you. And so so that all of those things fall into that bigger bucket of of virtualization that I think the world has definitively said this is a good thing. Being able to treat this expensive hardware as commodity services is a great thing. And, and I don't I don't see this going anywhere anytime soon.
1: How is NGA maximizing the use of technology to meet its mission? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues. On the Business of Government Hour.
2: How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download A Practitioner's Framework for Measuring Results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today.
1: Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. And my guest today is Chris Johnson, Acting Chief Technology Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA. And I'm wondering what else you're doing w- around IT governance or technology governance across the enterprise? And what's some of the challenges faced around that?
0: So from, from a governance perspective, I'll say governance is, is one of the areas where we are starting to make some pretty cool strides. Uh, We just recently stood up at NGA a program executive office uh, construct, uh, PEO. Most people are are familiar with this in the context of the big defense programs, which often use PEOs as a way to streamline their acquisition and start to delegate some of those acquisition authorities down a little bit more in order to prevent bottlenecks uh, higher up when there are um, only a handful of people that are previously were in the decision-making seat. So we just rolled out, we went IOC with PEO technology uh, on, on one October. Uh, that is also, uh, that is another hat that our CIO wears. Uh, so he is the, the CIO, he is the director of IT services, and he is now the director of PEO technology. And so all of our technology programs across the agency fall within PEO technology. So it's not an organizational construct per se. So it's not something that just applies to team, but it applies to technology that may be uh, delivered from outside of CIOT as well. That's one of the big major governance efforts that, that we're currently putting into place to help us get a, a better handle on our technology and streamline how we're delivering
1: it. That's wonderful, Chris. So we were talking briefly about, you know, um, DevSecOps, and I went into zero. We could talk about zero trust, but I, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a high level overview of some of the cybersecurity uh, strategy that you're pursuing.
0: Yeah, uh, happy to. So <laughs> obviously, you can't talk about cybersecurity nowadays without going into what what you just talked about, which was zero trust. And so, from a strategy perspective, so NGA just released its updated cybersecurity strategy. And I think you will find that it is very much aligned around zero trust. We talk a lot about the secure access. So that's about making sure people have the right credentials, have the right access to the data. We talk about securing data as a strategic access, right? We talk about the data as an an access controllable object of its own. All of that comes with a need for very strong standards. We have to have a deep and robust implementation of identity standards for people, as well as data standards and all the data, so we can start to, 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 to match those two things up. There's a big push for the, the, kind of the culture of security. I think that everyone today, uh, both at home and even in government, is much more cyber aware than they were probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, cybersecurity was something that was done by, you know, cyber people and nobody else really paid much attention to it. Uh, but because of the direction our, our society has gone and because everything is so digitized and, and, and we really are kind of moving into this age of digital citizenship, you know, everybody in some way, shape or form plays a critical role in cybersecurity from, you know, being able to recognize Uh, phishing emails, right, as a matter of course, and being like, oh, yep, not not today, Uh, not going to click on that link, Uh, to just being able to recognize when things in their application may may be off or look different or, right, not knowing not to deliberately bypass, right, certain security controls that we put in place for valid reasons. Um, And media coverage of a lot of these massive cyber attacks and ransomware attacks over the last probably four to five years have really helped the team cyber kind of do its job because this is a team sport. Right? I know that's kind of an overplayed uh, an overplayed saying, but it really is. Um, and with cybersecurity, we need everybody to be along for this ride or it's not going to be successful. There are so many ways in. There's so many ways to exploit things. Uh, one mistake could 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 give an adversary uh, access. So there's a, an incredibly incredibly important cultural aspect of the workforce being involved in this that we have to consider as well.
1: you know Chris, I, I want to talk about um you know technical diversity leads to higher maintenance costs. Uh, w- what are you folks doing around the capital investment process and and cost justifying any investments you're making?
0: yep. so so part of that part of that is addressed with the the PO technology construct so we're able to make more deliberate uh, strategic decisions around uh, not duplicating technology a part of it is the pivot to the service centric architecture right again making those strategic decisions to to not do that and and a part of it where we we're, we're already implementing it today is our devsecops platform nga core in the past in the past the way this would work is if you're if you're a software program right your software development environment that's bid as part of your software development contract. And so our contractors would go off, if you're bidding on a particular program at NGA, you're bidding your own software development environment along with that. And so from a government perspective, we're essentially paying for the exact same tools over and over and over again, right? So NGA Core allows us to centralize those services, centralize those tools, and really get to to the, the point of what you just said reduce that technical duplication and that cost by not having to maintain, you know, 30 of the same environment, it is incredibly more cost effective to maintain one environment and have everybody come into
1: that environment. Terrific point. You know, Chris, how are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration? More importantly, how can the private sector help with the efforts that you're doing? And and are you engaging industry differently now?
0: Yeah, so we we've got a couple of ways that we are are engaging with industry. I take time out of my schedule regularly to both do events like this as well as do direct kind of face to face with with our industry partners. Uh, NGA this year we had our I believe it was our third uh, industry summit, which was uh, was widely attended, uh, and incredibly successful, where we have a chance for the NGA team to uh talk directly to industry about the things that we're doing about the challenges that we face, where they can help uh, it's very well attended very well received and it gets gets support from the director of NGA from the deputy director from our component acquisition executive and it really just is a successful event uh, and we do a live Q a uh, so I would say definitely uh, if there are listeners out there that, that haven't heard of this and you're interested in working with NGA, Keep your eye out for this uh, next year because we'll more than likely do it again. It's a huge event, really successful. We also have an industry engagement team that works directly with our partners uh, out in industry. You can reach out to them directly, um, and they what they do is they host a series of meetings. They will they will kind of in process a particular company and their technology, what they offer, and then what they do is they go around and they look across NGA. And try and match up these people with any particular mission use case or customers that might be relevant to try and generate some of that interest. But by and large, I think you know, NGA has a very unique relationship with our commercial partners. As, as I said earlier, commercial geo-int is exploding. It is, it's all over the place. And we rely on it heavily. We rely on those industry partners both for innovation. We rely on them for partnerships. We rely on them for data. We rely on them for software. There is a huge, huge partnership that I I think takes place between our uh, commercial GEOINT providers, or not just the the imagery providers, but the people who work in uh, commercial GEOINT, whether it be the, the data, the software, right? We're all working together because every day there's a new use case unlocked, which is informed by GEOINT. There's, there's very few things that touch our lives these days um, that aren't driven by Geo. like it's it's no longer the domain of intelligence professionals is in the mainstream and like uh, it, everything think about the, the a lot of the smart devices people have in their homes right like vacuum cleaners right that map your house right all, all of that is geo like that is all geo and technology like're we're, we're using this technology in new and innovative ways uh, every day. Uh, and so we can't do that successfully
1: without our industry partners mm, you, you do a wonderful job of explaining that that's terrific so just a couple of more questions Chris and, and one is focusing on the future what do you see the future of your directorate and of the Directorate and maybe for our listeners what are some of the take key takeaways you'd like them to leave with
0: yeah so I, I think I think for the future of, of our directorate for ciot uh, I think we're going to see continued improvements uh, as we adopt uh, the program executive office technology. I think that's going to align our acquisition programs with our technology needs a lot better. So I'm looking forward uh, to to being a part of that transition. And I, I think from a from a key a key takeaway, as um, I look to the future and I look to technology, I I think our next the next big thing. That we're we're going to be exploring and looking at is the large language models. That's number one. We've all seen the explosion in generative AI and how it's being used in new and innovative ways. And we're going to have to start this process of, and in many cases, we we have some some limited uh, pilots already in in progress. But I I believe generative AI is going to fundamentally change how we interact with and, and exploit geoin and so having a workforce that is comfortable that is trained with ai that understands ai that knows it's not a threat right i think the the, the second key takeaway that i that i want to make is that ai is not a people people view ai oftentimes as a threat and they're like oh they, you know you're trying to automate things and you're trying to get you know get, give my job away to a machine and and that's that's not the case at all right it's it's really about augmenting the human and what they do. And for NGA, I think that's an incre- incredibly, important distinction because what really sets NGA apart, what really makes us special and makes us different from a lot of the, the commercial geo and companies that also do like imagery analysis and stuff. What makes us unique and special is our people. We have an incredibly, incredibly deep um, and rich trade craft of professionals who have been doing this for a long time, who have been focused on certain mission sets for a very long time, certain areas of the world for a very long time. And when they look at things, they see things in an image, in a, in a, in a picture that no machine will ever see. They have that, that that human intuition that is has been cultivated over decades of, of professional development and insights, of, of studying the, the culture and understanding, you know, what a particular area of the world and what what's normal and, and what's not. We can never replace that with a machine, ever. Um, that is what makes NGA unique. It's those people that have that instinct, that intuition, that gut feeling that something is not right here. And so as, as I talk about that big data problem that we have coming at us, what we have to make sure is those people, those experts that exists nowhere else in the world, we only want them spending their time looking at the things that are relevant. And so we're going to have to start to use technology to filter out the things that we don't want them to look at. So they can spend their cycles looking at the things that matter. Um, and the things where that human intuition and instinct is gonna be that aha moment that has a has a profound impact. Um, on on a mission, or on a policymaker, or even on a, a safety of navigation incident, right? Like that's what we're trying to empower and allowing them to use data more effectively. It is not about replacing people, but they must learn. The people, the workforce, has got to start getting comfortable with this new technology and realizing it's there to augment them, there to help them, and that if they learn how to harness it. Like what they will be able to accomplish, I I I can't even fathom. I, I'm I'm a pretty big visionary and thinker about what a future can look like, and and this scenario where I am I am astounded every day when I come across a team who is using a piece of technology in ways that that I never even dreamed of, and I think generative AI is one of these areas that it's going to fundamentally transform and unlock uh, human and analyst potential in ways that that we can't even consider right now.
1: Wonderful response. So, Chris, Chris one last question. Uh, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service?
0: I would say absolutely 100% go for it. Um, it has been the most rewarding career, the most rewarding life I could have ever asked for. Um, uh, I, I started my journey uh, serving our country in the Navy, and I haven't looked back. I have been a public servant ever since then. Um, it is incredibly gratifying. And with somewhere like NGA, again, what I love about NGA is the incredible diversity of our mission. Uh, our customers are everybody from a, a fisherman in the South China Sea all the way up to the President of the United States and everybody in between. Um, it's it's really an incredible mission, and it's an incredible place to work, and it's an incredible team. And I frankly, I, I can't imagine uh, I can't imagine working somewhere else.
1: Well, Chris, I I, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, your passion for the mission comes through. And it's really been an enjoyable conversation, but more importantly, I want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Hey, Mike, thank
0: you very much. I I appreciate that. And thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's been a pleasure.
1: This has been the business of government hour, a conversation with Chris Johnson, acting chief technology officer at the national geospatial intelligence agency. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.
2: How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.